So we are going to get into the Word. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7, and you can hold right there, and I will get to the verse right now. I do want to kind of set up what we're going to talk about tonight, and it's really something. It's, a, it's a, something that, will, that is meant to, I want you to leave here tonight, or whenever you hear this study, that you will be, you'll have something, you'll be able to go away with something that will help you to strengthen relationships, repair them, uh, restore them, uh, you know, just to establish new relationships in the right way, in the Lord, and how we should conduct ourselves. That's what this is tonight, uh, how I should be conducting myself to actually maybe avoid a lot of drama in my life, uh, remove a lot of drama in my life, and restore and, and, and just um, nurture relationships that I have and those that are to come. Uh, so in Matthew 7, as we'll get there, but first we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, um, and one verse specifically. But in chapter 5 through 7, we have what's called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving a sermon, and it outlines the characteristics of a Christian, of a believer, and how we should live, how we should not live. It gives us the foundation for our walk. If you are a new believer, or if you're a believer, and you want to either look back and find out, you know, I want to establish my life on the rock. How should I live my life? Just uh, read, open up the Sermon on the Mount, and you will see, the, the, you'll have guidelines, you'll have instruction uh, for life, and how to behave and how not to behave. And uh, so it's filled with, from Matthew 5 to 7, we get to chapter 7, and Jesus is talking about something, and, and you don't have to turn here, but there's a verse that, right before the one we're getting to, he begins to talk about something very common and natural that you fathers who uh, know how to give good gifts and how much more would the Father uh, bless us with the Holy Spirit and what have you. And then he turns to this verse because he's giving us some common sense and then he gives us even more common sense in chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it reads this way. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, before we kind of use this to, to open up our study, because we want to know, how can I live like this? I want to follow this. This will revolutionize your relationships. This last part here, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, when we look at uh, this, what he is saying here, this rule, if you will, uh, of everything, uh, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, what it is, is if you look to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, you'll have the verses, I'm sure, on the screen there. Leviticus 19, 18, it, it says this, but you shall, love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Now, that's the uh, latter part of that verse, 18b, you, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And what Jesus is doing here is really from Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and of course this rule here, it almost summarizes, if you will, uh, the ethical principles of uh, the law and the prophets. It's all kind of summed up here, and it's all kind of neatly packed here, and he's speaking, that's why he's saying the law and the prophets. We see it all kind of come together in that one phrase, in that one sermon, but in that one phrase, he didn't come to abolish the law, he says earlier, and so forth. 
Now, you don't have to turn here, but something happens in in Luke 10, and I'll just share this with you really quick. In Luke 10, from 25 to 28, Jesus is talking, and a a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. Jesus was always getting tested. And this guy, he stands up to test Jesus, and he asks him, "How how how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers his question with a question, what is written? And he goes on to say, love, love the Lord with all your heart, strength, mind, soul. And then he says the last part, love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from the Old Testament. And he says, Jesus basically says, correct, do this and you will live. And then in Luke 10.29, I think that's on your screen, Luke 10.29, um, it says that, uh, but wishing, the, the lawyer, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we try to catch Jesus into by saying like, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And Jesus turns it around and gives the parable of the Good Samaritan because the Samaritans and the Jews, we know the conflict there. Uh, and so he uses that to really, I think, well, this is my personal opinion. That guy probably felt publicly shamed and ridiculed when he responded with that parable. Wonderful study for another day. But so that's where we have the law and the prophets in this passage, in everything, therefore. What is, it was John Wesley, I believe, that he mentioned in a sermon and referred to this as the golden rule. And that's what I want to look at tonight, this golden rule. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Interesting here is this, um, this phrase, this saying, this principle or this law or rule has been said before Jesus. And it's very similar, very similar principle, but it's interesting. You have it in Hinduism, Buddhism, and in fact, uh, Confucius taught, he says, he said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. And the reason why I bring that up, I mean, the Greek philosophers, Stoics, people would have this same type of saying. But you, there's something to notice about how they said it. Even the Jewish rabbi, Hillel, said, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. You see, every other person that was saying this, in this phrase that was out there before Jesus said it or gave us this new version, it was done in the negative It was done in the negative. Every form of that principle was purely in negative terms. Not in expressions of love, but rather self-interest. So what I'm saying here is Jesus turns around and he puts it in the positive. And he says in Matthew 7, 12, it says to that to therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you. The same way, that word, who to, means to, uh, it means the same manner. It means exactly. So Jesus is saying to do exactly the, what, you want them to, what you want them to do to you, you do to them exactly. And that word want, thelo, thelo, is, means to desire, to wish, to love. I mean, think about this. How do you want to be treated? How do you want, how do you desire people to treat you? What do you love the way, when wish people would treat you? Kind of gives you an idea of, wow, Jesus turns this around and he puts it in the positive. Jesus' new version, if you will, of this law is to take action. Earlier in, in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word uh, love, agapa, uh, agapao, and he, this is stri- all the way through in this study that you'll see this is what it's based on, treating people and with love. 
So that word agapao that is interesting, which we'll see later also, is it means to initiate relationship. It means to take action, to do something. It doesn't require a comparable response either. So it's sort of sacrificial. It could even mean to love someone or take an initiate relationship with someone you may not even like, that may not even deserve what you're, how you're treating them. So this golden rule is the foundation of relationships. And today I want to, to, to be able to bring that out and tell you that you can fix relationships that you're in right now. You can make better relationships in the future by following this golden rule. You see, when people come to me and they might have uh, an issue and they want to talk about something that they're struggling with or, or problems they're having in their lives, they don't come to me and say, you know, hey, Steve, uh, if you have a minute, I, I have a problem and I, I wanted to talk to you. I'm having this issue with my dog. They don't say that. They don't come to me and tell me, hey, I'm having an issue with my car or my living room furniture. It's, it's a problem with someone it's a relationship problem. It might be their spouse, could be their children, but they're having issues with communicating and having a relationship with someone. That's the important thing of life. Not all the material issues, it, items in our lives, but people, the people that are in our lives. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight, the golden rule. You see, this golden rule can become compromised. It can be ineffective. Um, it could actually be counterproductive uh, or even destructive. And many of you are already probably saying, yep, I know, I've experienced that. Uh, I've learned from it, and praise the Lord if that's the case. But the golden rule, it's not determined by how we expect to be treated or how we think others should treat us, but by how we want them to treat us, how we want them to treat us. So stop and think right there for a moment. How do we like to be treated? When you walk into a store, when you're, you're, you're asking someone for help or you're calling customer service, how do you like to be treated? Well, with respect, you know, and, and uh, 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 courtesy and what have you. <coughs> um, I recall when Lauren and Jonathan were little and I'd take them to the store and we'd maybe go through a drive-thru or we'd go to the store. I can remember some specific times when customer service was horrible. And we were treated rudely. And I would, I would say, you know, I would be kind, whatever. And, and when we would leave, I, could, I remember saying to the kids, is, you know what, that person really didn't have much of a personality, did they? And I point out how rude they were and how they should have responded and, as, and providing service and perhaps they should have done it this way and they didn't even smile. And I would tell them, you know, don't be that person. Don't be like that, you know. Um, you know, be, be courteous to people and be, uh, you know, inviting and, and what have you. And so, but stop and think about how you want to be treated. Because on that same note or on that same coin, on the other side, stop and think about how, how you are treating your spouse, how you're treating your children, your friend, your boss, your enemies. Think about how you treat the homeless, drug addicts, Think about how you treat criminals, the lost, because as we go down the list, it might change. Well, hey, when I see my brother in the foyer, hey, brother, and I am welcoming, and I talk to him, and how are you, and what have you, and we engage in conversation. But when I see someone who's maybe crying in the street corner, strung out, or they look like they could use some help, or their car broke down, or whatever it might be, is there the same desire to help them? Because if we stop and think, what if I'm that person? 
How do I want to be treated? I could be devastated in my life, hurting, and I need somebody to reach out to me. So when we stop and think about things like that, we see how important this golden rule can become. You know, um, I recall uh, a long time ago, I guess, um, when uh, Lauren and Johnny... Lauren and Johnny were little kids, and Johnny was just a little tiny guy, and probably in a diaper, and would always tug on Lauren and mess with her and kind of, I guess, bother her, annoy her. And uh, she would start doing the same back to him. And uh, I've shared this story before, and we, I said, Lauren, don't, uh, you know, don't do that to your brother. Don't treat him like that. And she says, well, um, he does that to me, and the Bible says to treat others as you want them to treat you. And I, so I think I'm treating him that way because I think he wants me to because that's the way he treats me. Now, I don't know if Lauren was being really, you know, coy there and, and knew the scripture and said, you know what, I'll use this as an excuse. I need to ask her about this. Or was she just being literal? Because Lauren is a very, was a very literal young girl. So she may very well have just been taking that very literal and thinking, oh, he likes this, okay, and treated him the same. So we have to be careful that our standard with the golden rule isn't skewed because it could be destructive. It could be, you know, uh, counterproductive. You think of someone who has tough skin, someone who might love teasing people and loves it when they tease him. And so he does it to, to others when, you know, when he's around people. Um, he likes it when people get in the face and embarrass him or whatever. So he does it to other people, not realizing that it's a negative effect and no one likes to be treated that way for the most part. No one wants to be teased. But we have to know that how, our, how do we live by this golden rule? Because how you want to be treated could be a lot different than the other person. So here I want to give us three different uh, passages, three different principles to be able to carry that out, to be able to treat others. You might think it's easy because you know what you, how you want to be treated, but again, the way you are okay with being treated may not be okay with the other person. So three principles that I'd like to point out so that we could be successful and, and be able to properly treat people the way we want to be treated. The first passage I want to turn to is Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, each one will have a point to it, but Philippians chapter 2, let's start there with verse 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, Paul's writing, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Love, there's that word, agape, it, to initiate relationships, uh, um, to, to be able to uh, uh, be the person that initiates, that, that takes the first step, that makes the move, and, and is serving and loving and going forward, and using it as a, an action uh, loving someone that might may not even uh, be uh, uh, you know appreciate for whatever reason, but it's he, so he's saying maintaining the same love united in spirit. So we're talking about us being people that initiate. You know, a lot of times you might feel like, wow, no one talks to me, or I went there and no one said hi to me, or what have you. But you know, hey, if we're believers and we're Christians, yeah, it might be a little awkward if you don't know a lot of people, but be a loving person. After all, we're Christians. Take initiative and say, hey, how are you? My name is Steve and what have you. So here we have love, the same love united in spirit. Look at the next verse, uh, three. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. More important than yourselves. So that is the key with this, this first passage or this first principle, if you will, to apply to treat others as you want to be treated, um, is to consider others as more important. That is absolutely key because it changes everything on how you get along with people when you practice this part. So this one point in this passage is to regard others as more important than yourself. The word there is selfishness, eretheia. Eretheia means to put oneself forward. It's of a factitious spirit. It has to do with electioneering. Almost as if I'm a politician, I'm not going to talk about my opponent. I'm not going to talk about anybody but myself. I'm going to be selfish and say, here's why you need to vote for me. Because I'm this and I'm that and I belong to this and on and on and on. Talking about myself. What we're seeing here in the scripture is do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness. Get off of that podium. Get off of that stage and put others up there. Turn it around. It's not all about us. Humility of mind. That means to having a humble opinion of oneself. Humbling ourselves and not thinking we're all that. We're not thinking that we're more than what we are. Having a deep sense of one's, little, uh, mor- or one's moral littleness is what it means. In other words, not esteeming ourselves but others as more important. More important. Hooper echo. Hooper echo means to be above, superior as in rank. Like uh, militarily speaking, having a higher rank. Now if you're a private, you don't go up to your sergeant and start acting as if you're above his rank. Absolutely not, because for those of you that have been in the service, know what will happen to you. If you do that in, in, the, in the workforce, in the workplace, you go to your boss and you start acting like you're his boss, that's not going to fly well either. Or if you're at the same rank. But to, it's more putting someone more important. Considering that your friend, you know what, he's more important to me. His needs are greater than mine. I tell you, you're going to be one of the best friends. Especially if that person puts you first. What a great relationship. Think of how that works out in marriages, in the workplace and what have you. So, Regarding others is more important than ourselves. That is key in this passage, Philippians 2 um, and uh, in verse 3. Now look at verse 4. I want to point this out of this passage, though. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we start to see like, well, this is important. I can't just, you know, say, oh, that's a good point and everything. Wait a minute. Paul is pointing out that I need to have this attitude in myself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're being called to a high standard. That golden rule, our standard needs to be high on it. So, but what I wanted to point out here is, but also, that Greek word is kai, and it means even or accompanied with. Attitude, which is from eo, in the Greek, from eo, to have understanding to strive for. So we see that, you know what, we esteem others more important than ourselves. doesn't mean that we disregard our needs. It says do not merely look out for your own personal interests. So I wanted to give the balance there is look out for your own personal interests. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your loved ones. But when it comes to relationships now, when you engage, consider them important. 
Don't disregard yourself completely and be taken advantage of. That's not the point here. But the point is, I wanted to bring that in, verse 4 and 5, to, sh- to show you the balance. An interesting um, scripture to look at is Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. <clears throat> it says, But I say to you who fear... Um, I'm sorry. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then in verse 31, it says, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Whoa, okay. Now it gets interesting because we're talking about people who, well, are enemies, people that don't like you. We need to pray for them. People that uh, do good to those who hate you. And then it says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. So now that is a high standard. But I'm telling you, it will revolutionize that, your ability to carry out Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. Imagine it this way on a practical level, if you will. Um, you're, imagine the duty of a, a firefighter or someone in law enforcement being able to deal with or treat uh, the, the criminal, the arsonist, the murderer, the rapist, being able to not allow your personal um, anger, your personal disgust, but to treat them fairly and to treat them uh, in a way that, well, you know what? You may not agree with what they did, the crime they did, but that you're called to, to represent uh, the, the fire department or the law, uh, police department in a, in a way that is proper. And so when you see that and you, wow, that, that's, that's kind of interesting because somebody might want to just, you know, get the person and, 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 and deal with them as opposed to dealing with them properly. Jesus is not saying hate your enemies and go out there and beat them up too or go out there and do that. He's saying love them, do good to them, bless them. And so when we see like what Jesus is calling us to, following his example, uh, it's a great standard. Um, so that is um, interesting here. Turn to now the second point I want to bring out because number one, that Philippians passage of, of chapter two will help us accomplish Matthew 7.12. Turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse 19. Here's the second principle you can apply to be able to follow that golden rule properly successfully. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. So that I may win more. Now, right there with verse 19, I made myself, that word is emautu, emautu in the Greek, and it means to to take initiative, um, to make an effort, sacrifice. And the word slave, douloo, Duloo is to be given wholly to one's needs and service. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I have made myself a slave to all. I have taken the initiative to make an effort to sacrifice, to my, because his words go together, sacrifice to give myself wholly to the service of people. And that's major when you're trying to deal with people, when you're trying to get along with people in the workplace people that maybe not share the same views and it's hard to deal with, uh, a sibling, um, a family member, a neighbor, or what have you, 
is when we look at this, it's like, wow, Paul says, I've made myself a slave. And, but the re- here's the reason that he, well, as we go on, the reason he does it is all important. The same reason Jesus is our perfect example in this uh, as we go on. Uh, verse 20. To the Jews, this is Paul now. Paul says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I may win those who are under the law. Look at verse 21. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. And look at verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I, here it is, I have become all things to all men, so that I, by all means, I may by all means save some. That's the second point of this second principle. Becoming all things to all people will allow us and help us to accomplish Matthew seven twelve to be able to treat others the way we want to be treated. Because it all plays into how we're dealing with people. Um, uh, Number one, of course, esteeming others as more important, higher rank. And then becoming all things to all people, understanding their their situation in life, being able to minister to people. You're you're not going to do well in ministry if you think everybody should be like you or should be like this by now. They've been saved for a year. What's wrong with you? You're not going to do well if you don't realize, like, this person comes from this uh, hardship, or this person has encountered a hardship in their life. And if you don't um, 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 uh, meet them where they are, you're going to have a tough time being able to treat others the way you would want to be treated. Um, so in, in verse 22, become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. And that is key because we need to find a point of contact with people. It will help us to carry out Matthew 7.12. It'll help us to be able to uh, treat people properly the way you want to be treated, but the way they need to be treated. Now, the word become, in verse 22, I have become all things to all men so that I may, by all means, save some. Become, uh, genomai, means to begin to be. So that, that Greek word, hina, is in order for or to take initiative. And, of course, the word save, sozo, is to rescue from danger, save from perishing. So put that all together, and that's why Paul did it. We know why Paul did it. It's clear he wanted to see people saved, so he met them where they were, to the, to the Jew, to the one with the law, under the law. He, he met, met them where they are, and he became all things to all people. He began to become. It's not as though, well, I'm, Steve is who he is, and I'm going to minister to everybody the same way based on who I am. It's not going to work. What's going to work is to minister to people where they need to be ministered to, how they need to be ministered to at that time in their life or for their life or whatever it might be. Um, So Paul understood that. And he began to be, oh, I got to talk to that person? Then I need to understand that person. And I need to be able to relate to them. Imagine this. You're walking down the street and uh, let's say someone has uh, their garage open. You know the guys, maybe kind of the the neighborhood grouch or something, or whatever, you know, keep out my grass, whatever it is. And you you see that he has a really nice car in there, really nice car restoring or restored. You might say, you know what, I don't like, let's say I do, but let's say you don't like cars. 
you can't appreciate it. It's, it's, it's colorful. It's, it looks fast. Well, then, hey, what you can relate to, go talk to that guy. Maybe say, hey, it's a nice car, nice paint. It looks fast. Is it fast? See, that guy's heart, where he is, is he's going to have a lot of interest in that car. Now, you're showing interest in that car. You're becoming all things to all people. You're, you may not be a mechanic. You don't like cars, but you're all, you do want to know, is it fast? Because your goal is to see that guy saved. And so you meet him where he is. When you talk about his pride and joy there, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, it's fast. If you want, I'll take you for a drive. Whoa, okay, let's do it. You create a conversation, and you're able to meet that person where he is and treat them the way you would want to be treated. I mean, we got to think of ourselves before we were saved, how you wanted to be treated. I know there's a lot of ways that I didn't want to be treated, but I, I knew ways that I needed to be treated in order to be uh, saved or in order to get my attention. But that's another point for another message. So um, Romans 12, 15 and 16. Look at that verse. Time is just flying. Romans 12, 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. We need to make ourselves available. We need to become whatever it is to meet the needs of somebody or to meet them where they are so that their soul can be saved. That's the main thing. And that should cause us to, I want to live by that golden rule. How can I be become better? The third point, the third one, uh, Colossians 4, verse 5. Let's look at this. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And now, that right there, conduct yourselves, peripateo, it means to walk or to live, to carry yourself that way, to make one's life, progress in life, to be that way. That's the way you conduct yourself. With wisdom, sophia, it means knowledge. Um, and it goes on to say towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And we're talking right there with a couple of words that has to do with that kairos. And I think we, were, we used that word uh, a week ago or something. Uh, and it means the right time, a definite time. So when you talk with people, you want to conduct yourself with wisdom towards the outsiders and take advantage of the opportunity. His garage door is open. Ask him about that nice lawnmower that he has in there and make a point of contact. Look at Colossians 4.6 on this third point, this third principle, this passage here. 4.6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. That's the third point of this third principle of Colossians chapter four is our words should be like seasoned as with salt. Now, that word grace, uh, charis, it means uh, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm. Um, so always your speech with grace as though seasoned with salt. Seasoned are two o. And that word means to prepare, to arrange, to make savory. Think about, for those of you who cook, uh, think about how you take the time to put together a meal, uh, a, a dish. You look at the recipe, you learn it. After a while, you know it, you know the right way. The recipe might not work the best because you now know how to uh, prepare this. You know how to make this work, how to make it savory. And so the the... The attention, the detail that you give when you're cooking, you have family coming over, your friends, and, and you want to bless them, you 
you actually take the time to prepare, to make sure it's savory. You test it. It's almost there. And then when it's there, that's the way we should talk with people. Understanding that I want to make my words, the way I speak to them, my body language, everything, in a way that it's, it's savory. I need to take the time to prepare what I'm going to say. You see, salt, interesting with salt, is it adds flavor. That's like adding interest in your conversation. You're cooking, you add salt to add flavor. When you're talking to someone, you say something, do something to get their interest, to be interesting. Salt also preserves. And when you think of, well, how salt can be used to preserve in, in, the, in these days, biblical times, um, it could be also considered this way when you're exercising, uh, reaching out to people, is you could be sparing someone from spiritual corruption because you're being like salt. You're finding a way to talk to them so that their soul could be saved and so they would avoid uh, uh, a trip, a really permanent trip to hell by reaching out and trying to avoid them from being corrupted spiritually. Interesting thing with salt too is when you apply salt to an open wound, it's no fun and it burns. And that could be considered almost like if you do it right and carefully when you talk with people and you say certain things that are, that are going to be hurtful and you know they're going to be hurtful, even more so you should prepare them properly, package them better because it'll work as a conviction. It will work as a conviction, uh, much like salt does to an open wound when you're talking to someone. So um, Ephesians 4.29 says this. Sorry. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we need to be very careful with our words. We need to make sure we're building people up. That word edification means to build up. And of course, grace means to afford joy. So we should be people who build people up. Let me give you a few more verses in case you're writing these uh, notes down or taking notes. Um, Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our words to be done so that we're pleasing God in our conversations and how we are when we're reaching out to people. Um, Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Being that friend, that person that can, that not necessarily counseling, but just words of encouragement. Even if it's a hello, even if it's a how are you, how have you been? It's encouraging and it's sweet to your friend uh, when you're talked to kindly. We want it. We appreciate it. So we should do that to others. Uh, Proverbs 25, 11. Timely advice is lovely like golden apples in a silver basket. That's, again, more on how our words matter. Now, let me um, give you a couple of examples <coughs> through Scripture. Using those three principles... Those points, those three points of those three principles to help us achieve treating others the way we want to treat, um, be treated is when we're dealing with unbelievers. We can look at Jesus Christ. Now, this is, deserves multiple studies, but I'm going to 
just shoot through it for you really quick. We could think of Jesus dealing with unbelievers. We could think of him with a woman at the well and how he conversed with her, how he met her where she was, how he, uh, you could see him esteeming her higher than himself, meaning putting her first and becoming all things to all people. His words were seasoned uh, like with salt. We see him talking to Zacchaeus, the tax collector that nobody appreciated, but Jesus reached out to him and applied those three principles of esteeming others um, uh, more important than yourself and, and becoming all things to him and had dinner with him and his words were like seasoned with salt. But one person that stands out is this guy, Nicodemus. Jesus working with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, was part of a people who wanted to ultimately see Jesus dead, but he was also representing, when he came to see Jesus, was representing uh, some Pharisees who had questions, who had questions about who Jesus was. And look at, really quick, Jesus is how he converses with him, and you'll see these three things of esteeming others higher, becoming all things all people, and words seasoned as with salt. In John 3.10, Jesus, when he comes to Jesus and talks, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? As he was conversing with him, talking with him, he gave him some respect in the sense of, I recognize you as a teacher. I recognize you as a teacher of Israel. He was um, honoring his position, recognizing his position. He was esteeming him higher than himself, if you will, uh, in that way. Look at first, um, I'm sorry, John 3.14. Uh, it says, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, he spoke to him as a teacher, but he became all things, uh, like Paul became all things to all people. So Jesus, as a teacher, if you will, uh, spoke to this teacher, and he spoke to him in a way that he would be able to relate, because clearly Nicodemus would have known about Moses and the lifting of the serpent. And so he meets him where he is so he can um, get a conversation going. Then in John three fifteen and 16, the verses that you will probably read along from memory with me, it says, so that, Jesus says, so that whoever believes will, believes will in him have eternal life. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, he goes on to say that, uh, you know, that the, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, uh, but that it would be saved through him. Now, he gave him the gospel. There's the salt. There he is trying to save his soul. There he is talking, and he unfolds the gospel and his need for a savior. You know, I think of myself, my personal experience as a non-believer. I was um, already married, and um, Carol's brother, my brother-in-law, Sid, When I think, because see, the, when we're looking at this, um, this, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. And when I think of, when I go, when I flash back and I think of myself as a non-believer and how my brother-in-law spoke to me, it was, the way he treated me was, was phenomenal. He was a gentleman, he was kind, he didn't shove things down my throat, he didn't look at me in the wrong way because I wasn't a believer. Rather, we would, we would get, you know what, I'll, t I'll show you this really quick, is when we would have gatherings, because he was sold out to the Lord, and he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and just a, a great guy, and me, 
a horrible guy. And uh, when I knew that we were going to have a gathering and he was going to be there, I, my, my, my countenance would drop. I don't want to be there. That Christian guy is going to be there and blah, blah, blah. But the weird thing is he never treated me. It was all conviction in my heart, just being in the same room with a Christian. That's where the problem was. He did nothing wrong. And every time we would get together, the person that I would talk to the most was Sid. And we would have talks about scripture, Bibles, Bible stuff. And I would have questions for him and he just treated me great because he knew how to treat me properly. Um, and he probably knew how he would want to be treated. And, 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 uh, you know, and praise the Lord, and of course, became my uh, spiritual father, if you will, uh, my mentor. So dealing with believers, what about dealing with believers? Uh, that, of course, you know, obviously that goes a long way. And I will spare you from the details of this point, but I will say this. Um, there is, Paul wrote a, a letter uh, to Philemon. It's a very quick, short letter, and I wanted to read the whole thing to you, but it deserves its own study. In fact, I've done a study on the book of Philemon before, so I'll spare you. But um, you need to know your audience and when you're dealing with uh, believers. And Philemon, um, I'm sorry, Paul wrote a letter to Philemon about Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave. He stole money. He ran away. He was facing the death penalty. He gets saved under uh, Paul's ministry. And Paul sends him back with the letter to the person who could have him put to death. And it was, see, Paul knew how to speak to someone. And, 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 and just to shoot through my notes is Paul wrote this letter and he appealed to Philemon on the behalf of a former slave who ripped him off and ran away and, was, and should be put to death. He, he could face capital punishment if they wanted to exercise that. Paul says, hey, you're a believer now. You've been very profitable to me, but here's a letter. Take it back to Philemon. He sends him back. And let me just read a couple of things to point out the three keys or three points of becoming all things. In Philemon uh, 8 and 9, verse 8 and 9, it says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you... Um, to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And what's interesting here is that's the first, first Corinthians 9 uh, principle, becoming all things to all people. You see, Paul could have pulled rank as an apostle and spoke to him as an apostle, but he didn't. He appealed to him as a brother, brother to brother. He stripped himself from that position, from that role, and just spoke to him as a brother and appealed to him. And see, so Paul knew how to deal with someone, and he did it properly that way. Look at Philemon 10 and 11. It says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. Philippians 2, he's esteeming him higher than himself. You see, Onesimus became profitable for Paul. But Paul says, you know what, I want to reconcile you guys. I think Siri just responded on my phone. <laughs> okay, so, um, ah, lose my thought. Um, yes, so uh, Onesimus became uh, profitable for Paul. But you know what, they were... Um, um, out of sorts, and he wanted to reconcile them. And what he did was, he was, you know, I'm going to send you back to Philemon. 
He's more important than my needs. His needs are more important. You go and be a blessing to him. And so in verse, uh, so he's esteeming others higher. Look at Philemon 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul is saying, look, I'll, I'll cover whatever he did, whatever he stole. I'll take care of it. I will take care of this thing. Paul is trying to create a win, win, win situation. Win for Philemon, win for Onesimus, and a win for Paul. And so he's, he's not uh, only looking out for the other's needs, but he's also considering his own. And so words seasoned with salt. Look at this. Philipp, I'm sorry, Philemon 4 and 5. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of the love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Look at verse uh, 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in, the love, in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So Paul is sincerely, he's not just false flattery, he's sincerely commending Philemon. Paul is trying to guide Philemon for, to do the right thing, to continue to be a good example for the church that he had in his home. So his words here were seasoned with salt. He made it so that he had the interest or the... Uh, the uh, the attention of Philemon to receive that. So the last point I want to point out, the last area where we can uh, revolutionize our relationships is an important one, and that is like, well, with friends, family, siblings, whatever, but marriage. You see, friendships, marriages will suffer if our standard of the golden rule is low or skewed. Uh, Matthew 7.12 can revolutionize your marriage, your life ultimately, but your relationships, but specifically marriage. You see, marriage, it's it's common for there to be problems in marriage, but it's common because of that rule being violated, the golden rule of not uh, treating others the way you would want to be treated. So if that golden rule is tweaked, uh, you're going to be in some trouble. So I'll say this to the guys married guys, guys that want to get married, is just because we or you or we have men have tough skin, a little more rougher on the edges or what have you, we need to um, guard ourselves from treating our wives likewise. She's not one of the guys. She's not one of, the, one of the, your buddies. That, and uh, I mean, sure, you can have, you know, you talk like that, whatever, with your wife and all, but I mean when it comes to really nurturing that relationship, meeting her needs, and understanding where she is. And so with that, it's just a common conflict because they're treating, they're not really realizing what, how they're affecting their wife. And I'm speaking from the, the, the guy's perspective, but it works both ways, is they're not understanding how they want to be treated. And they're treating them the way they would be okay with treat, being treated, but it, it's not the way they want or what, what works for them. So look at this passage here. And we'll, we'll kind of wind it up here. Ephesians 5, verse 24 and 25. Paul writes, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is esteeming others higher than yourself. That is the ultimate picture there for us husbands to esteem our wives greater than ourselves. Jesus gave himself for the church. He gave himself up. He, he died on the cross 
for the church. Love, akabao, there's that sacrificial to initiate relationship even if people don't like you or you don't really care for them. It's to go out and take initiative. And he gave that para didami. It means to commit, to give into the hands, to give up, to present itself. So we present ourselves to our wives so that we esteem them greater than ourselves and that we have this kind of sacrificial agape, this kind of love. And that's how you, we see how, how we as husbands can esteem our wives higher than ourselves and have a very blessed, fruitful marriage. Because marriage, you have you know, two people, two adults that are going to uh, get married and live together. And they may have already have habits, do things differently, and not be on the same page in a lot of things. And so you have to know your wife. And, and wives, you need to know your husbands as well, but I'm speaking as a guy to the guys mainly. Uh, but ladies, you're not off the hook, so you know how it relates for you. Um, look at uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. In becoming all things to all people, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So understanding, live with your wife in an understanding way. And guys, we all know women are very easy to understand. How many wives looked over at their husband right now to see how, if they were grinning, nodding, or maybe in disagreement, like, oh, it's, <laughs> whatever the case. But you know, uh, it could be very easy to understand your wife. In fact, it's been said, sometimes understanding what a woman wants is very difficult. It's like trying to figure out what color the letter seven smells like. Right? Okay. But seriously, <laughs> seriously, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Guys, we actually do have to figure out and try to understand our wives. Not women in general, but our wives is a woman, but how, what makes her tick and what have you. Um, you know, it's also, here's some wisdom for you guys in understanding women. Is It's been said, I think, this way. Um, if you are having a conflict, disagreement, or you're arguing with your wife and she says something like, wow, at that point, get out of it. Get out of the room. Just end the conversation. Maybe start apologizing. But when you hear that, wow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, maybe that's more for the men's retreat. Okay. So here we have um, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, uh, put yourself in the other person's shoes. You ever heard that phrase, right? Hey, put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in her shoes. Um, to do that properly, if you take that little uh, phrase, uh, take it seriously or um, more than figuratively, to do that properly, you've got to know their shoe size. If you're going to put someone else's shoes on, you've got to know their shoe size. Will it even fit? Um, what, what size is it? Can I wear that? Or what have you? Do I want to wear that? But there's information that we need to be able to live with our wives in an understanding way. You know, um, I was uh, thinking earlier today, um, Carol and I, we, we got, well, before we got married, um, we went through some classes and what have you, and we went through a premarital uh, conference. It was a, a day retreat. So we drove out to this retreat, and we took this, uh, this little test. It was a compatibility test, and we would both answer the questions about each other to see how we knew, if we knew each other. And, and you know what? It, we, it, was, it was 
great because we really knew each other. I mean, we looked at the answers. It's like, wow, we really know each other. And it blessed us to know that how compatible we were, how much we really knew of each other. You know, after that day or whatever, we had that questionnaire, and a couple saw it. And they thought, wow, this is interesting. Hey, let's take it. And that couple took it. And they, they completed the questionnaire. And uh, I believe it might have been the female became very angry because they didn't know each other or he didn't really know her. And it became apparent, and they had, I think it was an argument, and I remember it very vaguely, and I even asked Carol about it, and she goes, oh yes, I remember that. And uh, so all that, I say this, backing up, talking about marriage, living with your wife in an understanding way, and what have you, is by all means, if you're going to get married, go through premarital counseling, so that you know your role as a husband and a wife, of knowing each other, to being able to treat people the way you want to be treated, but you have to know that person's life. You have to know them. You really have to know them. And so, and if you're already married and, and uh, there are issues, well, it's not too late. That's what we have the scriptures for. And going through something like this is like, that's how I think I can rescue my marriage, our relationship. We can, get a lot along. we can get along a lot better if we apply these principles, and you will. You can. So all that uh, being said, um, all these, these three passages, these three points of how to be able to carry out the uh, golden rule is crucial, and it's, I believe, very helpful. So... I wanted to give you guys that tonight. I wanted everyone to know that, hey, you know what? Uh, treat others as the, way, the way you uh, want to be treated. And we all know how we want to be treated. But you know what? Sometimes the person you're dealing with, you really may not know them. So we need to get to know people. We, and if it's a relationship in the workplace, someone who's not saved, um, that person may not want to hear about God. They may not want to hear about your Christian faith or how to keep them from hell or whatever. And you know what? Then, you know what, there's other ways to, to win someone over. There's other ways, as I mentioned, about someone's car or what have you. All it takes is a conversation. You get a conversation going with someone, and you, you know what? That guy's pretty cool. That guy's nice. You know, that guy is whatever, or she's very whatever. And eventually, a relationship can blossom where they see your faith because you live it. And they see that you care about their soul without telling them, I care about your soul. Because they see it in the Christian's life. So all these scriptures tonight is uh, Matthew 7.12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Uh, make that be a, the golden rule in your life. But don't let it have a low standard. Make sure it's not skewed. It's something we need to continually learn and something that we need to continually grow in. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, for your scriptures. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word, your Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to change, to fix things, to reconcile relationships. Lord, I don't know if I'm talking to people who have issues in their marriage or, or their friendships or with their boss. Lord, I pray that we would recognize some of the scriptures that spoke about humility, knowing our role, not thinking we're more than we are, letting us put other people as a higher rank 
serving people, loving people. And when it comes down to the fact that it might be someone who's not saved, it should fuel us even more so that we're more committed. And Lord, I pray that for if there's marriages that are in trouble, people that maybe have this a little skewed and things just kind of keep going off off the tracks, Lord, I pray that uh, everyone hearing this that is having issues would, would humble themselves before you and ask you sincerely what it is that we need to recognize, what it is that we need to change. And when we come to you in humility and complete surrender, you change us and you restore relationships because that's what you do. Lord, I pray that relationships first and foremost with you would be restored today, tonight, that people would know the importance of you in their life and how we can deal with this world and and be able to endure its hardships. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.